KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, May 6th. What it'll take to close the city's budget deficit. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. One case of the COVID-19 variant spreading in India has been reported in San Diego. The case was found in a woman in her 20s who traveled from India before being hospitalized last month. Public health officials don't know yet if the India variant is more deadly or causes more severe illness. They also are still trying to figure out if the current vaccines are effective against it. The San Diego Board of Supervisors voted 3-2 to two earlier this week to extend and expand the county's moratorium on evictions. The moratorium bans residential evictions without just cause and pauses some rent increases. It also closes some loopholes left by the state ban, including one that lets landlords evict tenants in order to rehabilitate a property. The moratorium will expire 60 days after the state lifts all COVID-19-related stay-at-home orders, which is set to happen on June 15th. The Port of San Diego will hold a virtual community workshop tonight for residents to give feedback on the future expansion plans for Pepper Park in National City. The workshop is from 6 to 8 p.m. tonight over Zoom. The event will also be offered in Spanish and Tagalog. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. The San Diego City Council began a detailed review of Mayor Todd Gloria's proposed budget on Wednesday. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the long-term budget doesn't look good. Federal COVID-19 relief dollars are sparing San Diego from draconian budget cuts this year. But the city's independent budget analyst told council members Wednesday there's still a long-term deficit problem. Services like police, parks, libraries, and trash pickup simply cost more than what the city takes in from taxes and fees. Councilmember Sean Ela Rivera says the city should be honest about that. The budget situation that we're in, um, we will not get out of without acknowledging that we, we simply need more resources to provide the city uh, and its residents what they want and deserve. Fixing that long-term deficit won't be easy, since raising taxes or fees almost always requires voter approval. As the council was meeting today, activists held a press conference outside City Hall, calling for cuts to the police budget and increases to a host of other priorities, among them infrastructure to adapt to climate change. While the police budget perpetually increases, environmental investments that would help us survive the coming crisis are far down on the list of priorities. We don't have enough money for more parks, but there is enough money to police the parks. The council is scheduled to review the budget for every city department over the next week. Mayor Gloria will present his revised budget proposal on May 18th. And that was KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. 
While new border wall construction was halted by the Biden administration, the border fence in Calexico is still getting upgraded. KPBS's Alexandra Von Hell has more. Eight feet tall sheets of metal now cover a portion of the border wall near downtown Calexico. El Centro Sector Border Patrol says the added security measures are part of its tactical infrastructure funds. According to local Border Patrol, the added metal sheets are to protect agents from rocks and other objects that are sometimes thrown through the barrier. However, the founder of the group Calexico Needs Change, Ismael Arvizu, believes the metal mesh was placed for other reasons. And that mesh is blocking a lot of ways of people to connect or to help each other out, to be able to, you know, pass, you know, hold hands or even just like be closer. The El Centro sector has seen a dramatic increase in apprehensions. The sector apprehended more than 12,000 people in the 2020 fiscal year. That number has more than doubled to over 30,000 apprehensions in 2021, with five months still remaining in the fiscal year. And that was KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell. Some of San Diego's most iconic buildings were lit up in red last night to raise awareness for a crisis in the Native American communities across the country. May 5th was Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day. KPBS reporter John Carroll talked to Native leaders about the challenge of getting justice when one of them goes missing or is murdered. Red lights on the county admin building, the convention center, and the botanical building in Balboa Park all symbolize the spirit of Native American people, and in this case, the blood of murdered Native women. Executive Director of the Strong-Hearted Native Women's Coalition, Keeley Linton, says justice can be hard to come by, and a big reason for that centers around jurisdiction. We have to work around three different jurisdictions, the tribal jurisdiction, the state jurisdiction and the federal jurisdiction. So when we're looking at prosecuting cases or seeking assistance for victims, it's, it's kind of maneuvering through those systems. Linton says tribes are improving their local judicial systems, but she also says there's still a lot of work to be done. And that was KPBS's John Carroll. The head of California's state university system is getting some pushback after requiring students and employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine before returning to campus. I have received a few letters, mostly not understanding the way that we're structuring the requirement. Chancellor Joseph Castro says students have time to get vaccinated once there's a full FDA approval of at least one vaccine. The three vaccines currently used in the U.S. have emergency use authorization only. He also says there will be some exemptions for religious and medical reasons. And then for those students who don't wish to be vaccinated, uh, there will be a virtual option for them in the fall. But again, um, our, our hope is that we can repopulate our campuses at a, a high level. Students at California's public universities have been outside the classroom for well over a year now. The University of California is also requiring students and staff to be vaccinated before returning to campus. 
President Biden has announced that his administration will now raise the nation's refugee cap to 62,500 individuals. The decision comes after Biden faced sharp criticism for failing to lift the previous cap set by the Trump administration of only 15,000 people, a restriction Biden now characterizes as historically low. The change in course means resettlement organizations will need to pull resources together to help people create a life here in the U.S. Michael Hopkins is the CEO of Jewish Family Services. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman to discuss the efforts to help refugees resettle. Here's that interview. So first, what's your reaction to Biden lifting the refugee cap? Well, obviously, we we applaud the Biden-Harris decision to lift the cap. Um, Frankly, we were surprised um, that he wanted to continue it at 15,000. Uh, and so um, happy that um, he changed his position. Um, but the new position is actually much more aligned with um, what he campaigned on. So it took a while to get there, and uh, but we're there. How does your organization help refugees start their lives here in the U.S.? So I'm, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I, I, it is important to note that uh, we've been doing this work um, for over 100 years. As a matter of fact, Jewish Family Service here was founded uh, by a group of women who went down to the border uh, because in 1918, Jews were stuck at the border. Um, so helping the stranger, welcoming the stranger, working with refugees um, has been part of our organization's history for, for more than a century. Um, but over the last probably 40 plus years, we've been very involved working with um, HIAS, a Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, our national partner, in helping refugees um, settle here in San Diego. So we're one of four agencies that do that work locally. Um, and we everything from, you know, uh, refugees different from asylum seekers, refugees um, almost always um, arrive via plane. Um, they come in, you know, through the State Department. Um, they're vetted overseas. And then literally from the moment that they arrive um, at the airport, uh, we help them settle and uh, help them on their path to citizenship. What portion of this higher refugee cap do you think will end up in the larger San Diego area? So that is a re- good question. I, I don't think anyone really knows. You know, uh, we have the numbers from the past year. Um, so, for example, um, uh, you know, like even in uh, like in 2016, um, San Diego had about 4,000 um, uh, refugees come to San Diego. Uh, this past this current year, we're at 341. I mean, it's really uh, so much smaller than what it's been. Um, now the 4,000, that the cap was was higher than 62.5, um, and most believe that we won't even hit 62.5 in the remainder of this fiscal year. Um, so it probably means uh, a couple thousand for San Diego at some point. I mean, that, that would be my guess. So exactly what kinds of resources do you offer to help someone or a family start their lives here in San Diego? So it's really pretty, uh, um, I mean, the, the first thing that happens is, uh, is a health screening and we, we make sure that, you know, that folks uh, come here um, just medically are, are good to go. Um, so the services include everything from uh, English, uh, learning English to making sure that, that you know, that they um, take advantage of the classes that are available here in San Diego, uh, to employment work, to setting up their home to um, dealing with all of the issues that you can imagine that um, one needs to be taken care of. Um, And uh, these individuals are eligible for benefits. So we also need to make sure that any kind of public benefit that is available, that that we we make sure that they take advantage of that. So um, our staff will work one-on-one with a family and work with individuals and, and, and really get them established here. 
And can you talk about some of the circumstances people have had to flee from to come to the United States? So that varies, um, and it varies based on what country they've come from. So in the past, um, you know, individuals have come from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They've come from Miramar. Um, they've come from, um, obviously, before the Trump administration, they came from uh, many countries in the Middle East. So it varied. But um, I mean, the one common denominator with anyone who um, is being resettled, anyone who is part of the refugee program, is um, they are no longer in the country where they were originally living. You know, almost always they were, um, um, they come here via um, having spent a fair amount of time in a refugee camp. And so um, they left wherever they were uh, because of a direct threat to their safety and security. And so all of them um, have some level of trauma. All of them have had some experience you know, that has um, allowed them to get this far. Um, and I would say that, you know, the program that we're part of, which is also part of the United Nations, you know, the, the individuals that often have um, the most needs come to the United States. And, and so, uh, so these are folks that, that do need, um, I would tell you, say the loving kindness of um, our staff and our volunteers. One big part of resettling is navigating the immigration system. Uh, what has that process been like? Right. So individuals who are, are part of uh, who come here uh, as refugees, um, as opposed to asylum seekers, um, have a clear path to citizenship. And uh, after five years, they're eligible to become a citizen. And um, during that period, uh, we work with them to make sure that all the paperwork is completed. We also make sure that they are prepared for the citizenship test. Uh, we offer those types of classes here at Jewish Family Service. And so you know, their, um, their path is much more defined. Um, and they come here um, already, um, you know, in line to be a citizen. Um, folks that come as asylum seekers have a really different process in terms of um, that there's actually a whole, you know, a whole process of uh, a hearing and to determine whether or not they're actually eligible to be successful in asylum. So that's a really different uh, piece of legal work than, uh, than um, folks that come as part of the resettlement program. So right now, what's the biggest challenge your organization faces in helping refugees resettle? The biggest challenge is always the challenge that um, has existed in the past is that, um, you know, very often we don't get a lot of notice. Um, and so, you know, so we, we, we're prepared and we're ready. And then, uh, you know, and then we, we wait. Um, it's sort of almost like when you go traveling, you know, there's a lot of hurry up, hurry up, and then you end up waiting. Um, the same thing happens in, the, in this particular program where, um, we need to be prepared if somebody arrives in, you know, two days, three days, four days, but we never really know exactly when they come. Um, and then um, often there are delays. Um, so the, the the biggest hurdle really right now is the is the government, um, and that is that the program itself has really been uh, dismantled over the years. And so just for the government to um, to you know all of the screening, all of the the work that's done to make sure that the folks that are vetted properly. Um, uh, it takes a while. And so uh, we are anxiously awaiting folks to, to arrive here. Um, so just at Jewish Family Service in the last year, 42 folks have been uh, resettled. Um, and in past years, that number could be as high as 300, 400, 500. And so, um, you know, staffing up to that number is um, obviously where it's in progress. That was Michael Hopkins, CEO of Jewish Family Services, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Coming up, leash laws are sometimes ignored at public parks, trails, and neighborhoods. During the incident, he kept saying, 
He's never done this before. He's never done this before. This is not like him. The tragedy that ensued when a seemingly friendly unleashed dog turned deadly. That's next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Dog owners tend to think that their pets are friendly in public. So what's the harm in unclipping their leash for a few minutes to play fetch at the neighborhood park? Well, a lot of harm can come from it, as KPBS's Maya Trabolsi found out. A couple in Poway are still grieving and healing after a dog attack that ended in tragedy. Happy birthday, dear Cheekies. Happy birthday to you. Six-year-old miniature schnauzer Cheekies won't be getting any more birthday songs or treats. Her life ended last week after a vicious attack by an unleashed dog. But she wasn't uh, the no, only just, victim. Uh, bite here and then some, some puncture wounds here and a little puncture wound there. Cheeky's owners, Cynthia and Ricardo Elizondo, are back at Garden Road Park in Poway for the first time since the incident. Uh, I believe we might actually find blood trails. Um, my understanding is they tried to clean it up after the incident, but were not successful in getting it all. So we may see some. There's a long stretch of grass to the side of the park that is commonly used as a dog run for unleashed dogs to play fetch. So you were actually on this path? We were on the path. Oh, actually I think that's my glove. Yeah, and that's blood right there. So this is the glove that you were wearing that morning? That is correct. A bloody glove, all that remains of the deadly encounter that seemed so innocent at first. I, I was not scared at all. I thought he was just coming to say hello. He was clearly <coughs> friendly dog playing ball with his owner. But instincts kicked in, and the dog who had been playing happily just seconds before had locked his sights on Cheekies and his jaws into her back. Would not let go. Um, at that point, his owner came running over. We started kicking the dog. The owner actually said, kick him, kick him, do it, go for it. Um, and he got his hands into his own dog's mouth to pry open the, the jaws. It took three adults more than 30 seconds to separate the dogs, at which point the attack continued. The owner clearly shocked by his dog's behavior. During the incident, he kept saying, he's never done this before. He's never done this before. This is not like him. Once Cynthia got Cheekies into her arms, they spun in circles trying to avoid another bite. This time, Cynthia's arm got in the way, and she felt the dog's teeth in her flesh. At that moment, I thought, we just need protection. And so we actually, Cynthia and I, and took the dog to the, to the uh, children's structure there because I said, there's a fort. I need a fort. So you climbed up here? Yeah, so climbed from the other side, just took my family, right? So. I was carrying the dog over here just to keep because I knew that I only had to protect one entrance at this point. Once police and EMTs arrived, Cheekies and Cynthia were both rushed to respective emergency rooms. Cynthia needed sutures and staples to close her deep wound. There's a bite out of my arm. So there, there, there was kind of a, an inch and a half, two inch diameter, you know, separating, mm -hmm. you know, with no uh, skin and looking in. All the way, almost to the bone. Cheeky suffered broken ribs and organ damage and had to be euthanized while Cynthia was still in the ER. 
she did not get to say goodbye. No. There's inherently more safety for everybody in the park if animals are leashed. Captain Danny Cook from the San Diego Humane Society says the dog that attacked is under a 10-day bite quarantine per California Health and Safety Code, not punitively, but to rule out rabies. She says officers regularly get owners explaining why their dogs are off-leash, despite the leash law. My dog is under voice control or my dog comes exactly when I tell them to or my dog is the sweetest dog and would never um, harm another dog or person. Whether that is in fact true or not, it's not just for their safety and their dog's safety, it is for the safety of the other owners and dogs in the park. Friendly dogs are still weapons. It can go from licking your toddler's face to causing a big gash on a stranger's arm. That is not a vicious dog, it's just a dog. The Elizondos say they have forgiven the other dog owner and want to make clear that he's been equally traumatized watching his beloved pet turn deadly. If, if even one person decides that they will no longer take their friendly, sweet, loving dog off leash at the park or anywhere other than the dog park, I will be happy. And that reporting from KPBS's Maya Trabolsi. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.